What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's Women's History Month, but today we'll be focusing on the here and now. Even with the pandemic, don't despise your own place and hour. Every place is the center of the world, said naturalist John Burroughs. You're always nearer to the true source of your power than you think. The lore of the distant and the difficult is deceptive. Deceptive. The great opportunity is where you are. So this morning, we're speaking with Courtney Ram, author of the memoir, Eris Rising. She's in Hawaii amidst roosters. Welcome, Courtney. Welcome to Dropping In. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. If we hear any roosters, it's going to be an exciting new day, I can tell you. Um, we are delighted to have you with us. You are the author of Eris Rising and an authority on inner power, born and raised in the heart of New York City. You have followed your passion for dance since childhood, which led to a career as a professional dancer, choreographer, and teacher. You've directed dance schools, performed and taught all over the world, from Singapore to Thailand to Manhattan. And with your master's degree in dance education, you've led wellness retreats in Hawaii, focusing on empowerment and transformation. You're also the founder and artistic director of the nonprofit dance company Ram Dance and the mother of two children, Sky, a girl, and Ocean, a boy, whom we know from Eris Rising, your first book. I wonder with that introduction, uh, Courtney, if you would describe yourself for us. How do you see yourself at this point? Hmm. Well, no matter what I'm doing in life, I always see myself as a dancer. Even if dancing isn't what I'm doing, you know, morning to night, it's something in me. It's an identity that has shaped me to who I am. And dance, dance is a part of me. So I just see myself um, as a dancer first. And mm -hmm. after that, I'd add on mother, because that's very much my reality right now, is, is mother of two very young children. Um, but there's always that, that artist in me, that artist, dancer, musician, um, you know, artist encompassing everything, not just the visual art, but, you know, music and dance. That's, that's really how I, how I describe myself. Uh, well, that's a beautiful description. We um, you know, can also look at your website, CourtneyRamm.com, and there are beautiful segments there of you dancing. Um, and I noticed, couldn't help but notice, that you dedicate your book to your mom, Adrienne, for helping me back up after every fall. Uh, and this seems to be in your shared experience of dance. She was a dancer in the Isadora Duncan tradition, um, danced all of her life, also all around the world. 
And um, and as as we we hear from Confucius, our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. There is an arc to your story. Mm-hmm. Um, you're back in Hawaii. Is that right now for uh, an empowerment seminar, or how do you find yourself there now? So, um, as my book kind of tells a story, um, Hawaii was for me, like a soul home, a place where I finally felt like I landed home, even though I I don't have any Hawaiian um, relatives, I don't think, um, at least blood relatives. And um, the story takes me to different places. It takes me um, to Texas and California eventually. And um, making this, this move back to Hawaii was something in my heart for years. So uh-huh. Um, I, I will be hosting retreats here, but I am here to, to be here. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, the arc of the story is that emitting, amid a budding dance career, Courtney found herself in a whirlwind Romanic relationship, one that resembled a perfect Hawaiian sunset at the beginning. And somehow, this I'm quoting from Eris Rising, only 16 months later resembled the aftermath of a Midwestern tornado, a stark, scary scene of desolate destruction. So enter the charismatic green-eyed Marcus, who you met during your 20s. Um, You were 25 when you decided that you needed, um, on top of the you know, considerable accomplishments you had in dance, that it was time to bring a man into your life to complete it. Uh, He turned out to be a polyamorous narcissist, a cult follower, and something of a sociopath. I would say a sociopath, for sure. Uh, Eris Rising is the story of this arc, a story that you describe uh, as breaking deep karmic patterns and changing long-held karma, um, you know, into your mission, that the powerful feminine warrior spirit of Eros, so glad we're in Women's History Month, uh, is your inspiration. This memoir shows how it's possible to move forward after life-altering, quote, mistakes uh, and recovering the true genius within. I, I just congratulate you on this very brave memoir. It's something that took me back to... Uh, decisions that I made um, in my younger version of self. And lots of times we like to keep those under wraps, um, fearing that we look stupid. Um, Your memoir, on the other hand, is very brave. You completely um, uncover this chapter of your life. And um, I wondered how the reaction has been since the book came out in fall of 2020, What's been the response? How has it changed your perception of those times? Hmm. Yeah, so you're right. This is a very personal story. And um, there was even, you know, a part of me that was concerned about writing something so deeply personal, um, writing things that people that knew me well didn't even know. And yet I was going to put it out, you know, to the whole world. So there was definitely um, an element of, am I really you know, going to publish this? And I was just amazed when I started sending the manuscript out to people before it was even published, um, how much feedback I got that people were relating to my story. And it was like, 
it helped them understand their experiences, even things that happened to them, you know, many, many years ago. And that gave me that confidence that this, you know, this could be out in the world. And since it's been published, I've had the same experience. I have people you know, messaging me and reaching out um, that it was, you know, it's a deep story that they were able to figure out their own um, relationship issues there. It helped them, um, helped validate things for them as well. And um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. So, so first, true. The reaction from close family. <laughs> the reaction from close family, that was actually what I was most nervous about. I was like, oh, my gosh, like my own family is going gonna, is gonna to read this. Like, can I like have other people read it, but not like the ones who really know me? And that response has been incredible. Like I, um, you know, my sister, my aunts and uncles, and they're just like, wow, like this, you went through all this and like you came out of it and, you know, bravo for writing your story down because that's not easy either just to write it. So yeah, I was, I was surprised at, at how much, um, how relatable the story was to people. We surprise ourselves and uh, our family surprises us sometimes uh, with their embrace of um, difficult truths. You had to, you had to really go there. Um, and I think, it, you know, you, you went into a period of time when we're all really fallible, making goofy choices uh, in our 20s, not exactly knowing ourselves very well. Um, and you, you happen to find yourself in an obsessive relationship. I wondered if the obsessiveness that drove you to be perfectionistic in dance, uh, which is not easy. It requires discipline. You were a student of the School of American Ballet in Manhattan, a very prestigious ballet school from the time you were eight years old. Uh, the, the discipline, the uh, setting aside personal life in order to accomplish things in the world of dance, did it kind of set you up though, in a way of, you know, not having a lot of experience, first of all, and also having a tendency towards being obsessive and perfectionistic, that you were somehow drawn, you know, we hear all the time in songs, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Here you were in beautiful Hawaii with your dance troupe, all of this going for you. And yet, you know, you, you met Marcus and you did start to follow him to the ends of the earth. I wondered if you felt this obsessive yeah. component, that you own it now, that you see it for what it is. Did it work to your disadvantage as well as in your favor? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting topic. So I definitely was very naive and inexperienced because I had devoted my life to dance. As you said, um, I wasn't having kind of like the normal, the normal upbringing of a teenager would have. Um, I was just, of my choice, I was very focused on ballet at that time and was training all day. And some of my friends had boyfriends and I could see how it distracted them um, from the training. And I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be, you know, obsessed with like a relationship. Like I want to have my, I want to you know, be a ballerina. I need to be in a company. By the time I'm 18, I need to focus. I need to, um, you know, stay, stay centered in my training. So I didn't have that, the normal experiences that a lot of teenagers would have by choice. And then um, I had a few experiences. And then when I met Marcus, um, I just, there was something, yeah, there was something in me that didn't want to give up. 
So as the red flags started to appear, and most people would have just turned away at the first couple, I felt that, like, obsession to, um, I wouldn't, at the time I wouldn't call it an obsession when I was experiencing it, but I guess looking back, that probably fits, that word. Um, it was, like, this devotion that I had to see it through, and um, it was very, very fast, very intense relationship. So, I mean, by the time I was pregnant, that was, that was pretty much it. I was like, well, we're going to just be together. Like, we're getting married, and, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the one. Like, it's a good thing I found him already. Um, and he, you know, said those words, even though it didn't match his actions at all. But when you hear someone telling you exactly what you want to hear, sort of like confirms that that's the truth and then you need to stand by it and make sure that is what happens. So the, the obsessiveness, I'd say, yes, the single focus, the determination, it's like, you know, something in me that's like, I'm going to get what I want and this is what I want. And I saw this perfect person, you know, and I was like, this is, this is my dream partner that I've been wishing for since I was, you know, a kid. And like, he's just here. And, like, forget all the red flags. I mean, this is, this is the one. Like, we can fix all those things. So there was definitely some thinking that wasn't quite, quite logical at that point um, once my heart was, you know, invested into that relationship. Well, love is often not logical, and that's something we all know. Um, it doesn't mean that we aren't geared or wired to pursue it. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, there was also the aspect of Marcus that he was kind of unobtainable, right? He was also always involved um, somehow either in flirtations or questionable associations. He was married uh, to, in order for uh, a woman to, to enable her to get her green card. So there was a lot that you had to defer or set to one side as this gorgeous man appeared in your life, told you everything you wanted to hear, um, you began to, I think, shed your sense of self. We've all lost our way at one point or another and needed to take back our own power. But for you, it was maybe even more pronounced because the idea of accomplishment and um, Genius, it's very much embedded in your biography because, um, and I think much has been made of this, but I'm going to share with our listeners um, what you also describe in your book that, you know, you, you and your brother and sister were one, you were one of 229 born from the controversial genius sperm bank. So there was an anonymous sperm donor um, who created you and your brother, another one who created your sister, Leandra, uh, who has gone on to become an opera singer. She was interviewed by Anderson Cooper. She was on The View. So much has been made of this sperm bank idea, this expectation that you're going to always excel no matter what you do. It's going to turn out in this wonderful way. It hardly allows for any human fallibility. Um, and that's the most mm -hmm. natural thing in the world at, at, at this age. Um, you had to experiment right. to find yourself. I wonder if you felt like just that was a lot of baggage to be carrying around. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of baggage to carry around, um, that, that expectation. And, 
um, there was like a, a funny part in my book where I had just, um, I think I had just left that whole situation and my sister got a call about an interview about, um, you know, for these children that were born of the sperm bank. And I was like, okay, don't talk about me. Don't mention my life. Like, don't, don't hint anything's going on. So this is that image you need to feel like you need to maintain, like, well, yeah, you can't make any mistakes. Everything has to, exactly what you said, everything has to turn out right because you came in with this, like, predisposition and there's, there's an expectation set. And so if something's not going right, you definitely don't want to be sharing it, especially on, like, you know, a huge, um, you know, like a public a media source, an interview or something like that. So, yes, I feel like the book um, kind of, like, maybe humanizes that aspect that it doesn't matter, you know, what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter how great your parents were or, you know, all these um, opportunities you can have. There's still you're still just living your life and you're going to end up, you know, making mistakes. That's part of life. And then how do you, how do you recover from that? How do you use those for your growth? That's really what I wanted to highlight about the genius firm bank um, in my book is that, you know, coming in with a great, a great start can only give you so much. You have to learn for yourself. You have to try and experience things for yourself to get the true growth. And it's self-acceptance, you know, you were keeping it real. And this is another reason that I really do say brava, this book, um, it really, you you decided to dismantle this whole image of yourself and deconstruct it in a way so that you could understand yourself better. So that those of us who have done obsessive things, been in obsessive relationships, um, and who are perfectionistic. And Lamott, the author, says perfectionism is the oppressor. It will keep you tied up in knots forever. Um, and if you take these steps to accept and forgive yourself, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. You, you've tapped into a really rich vein. And I would think that there are a lot of people out there who will respond to that and, um, you know, also embrace the idea of let's 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 accept ourselves let's really look at um you know let's i'm i'm totally over the whole um you know freak show of 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 um adoption sperm donor babies um it's time to normalize ourselves and and to accept really who we are from within ourselves so um, we've got to take a commercial break, um, but when we come back, we're going to continue this fascinating conversation with Courtney Ram uh, about her book, Eros Rising, a beautiful memoir, and we're going to try to understand the balance of nurture and nature. Um, you did come from an exquisite family, one that helped you come back up from your falls. I'm not sure any, any or all of them were really, quote, mistakes. Don't go away. We'll go. We'll come right back on dropping in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. She writes press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. 
Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve riders who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Courtney Ram, author of Eris Rising, a memoir of finding the warrior within. Courtney, it's a brave book. It's also an eminently readable book. There's some humor in it. There's a lot of touching moments in it. Um, And there's, most of all, the uncamouflaged you. That is really what memoir is all about. Um, It's not about the performance, which may have comprised a lot of your life as a dancer. You were always performing. I love that you took us behind the scenes, that you took us away from the stage and behind the curtains. And I really um, think there was a lot encapsulated in your quote, warriors aren't born. They are forged from the harsh experiences that shape them as they strive to defend what is sacred and true. Can you tell us a little bit about what for you is sacred and true, having gone through all of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you were reading that, I was actually flashing back to when I wrote that sentence. I know exactly where I was sitting on um, the floor of my apartment. And it just came out of me. I remember it. That just, like, the sentence just kind of spilled out of me. And I was like, that's interesting. What, what do I mean by that? Um, and, you know, what is sacred and true? So for me, having gone through the experience I did in that book, I felt like I was, I mean, to be honest, I felt like I was victimized. I felt like things were happening to me and I couldn't control them. And everything you know, that I believed in, like a loving, healthy relationship and a family and raising a baby together, it was like all of a sudden everything I, I believed in and I, I felt strong value towards, that was just like thrown away from me and I couldn't get it back. And it was, mm. it was devastating. Um, and then I had to fight to, to tell my truth because when you're in a relationship with a narcissist or a sociopath, they turn your reality upside down and, you know, up is down and down is up and you're confused and you don't know, <laughs> you know, they say one thing, they do something else. It's a very confusing state to be in. And for me, it was getting back to that sense of who am I? And what is my truth? And how can I stand by that so that no one can take that from me anymore? Um, because, you know, it was, it was it's a true story. And it's, it's a pretty intense story of what I went through in the relationship and then ending up on a, a church cult, you could say, campus. Um, 
living there and having to deal with a lot of corruption going around around me. And how did I deal with that and live in it and deal with it? So for me, it was like stand, you know, standing up for justice, standing up for you know, my child's safety, my children's safety, um, not giving in anymore to you know, with the easy way or, you know, going back to a relationship because it would make my life easier because there'd be two parents and not one. It was really standing up for what is right and what is true, taking mm-hmm. away all this falsity that was, you know, placed in front of me and around me. Well, you were not stupid. Well, these are the fantasies that we all share. We're going to have a happy life. We're going to have a partner in life. Um, whatever gender we're we're going to maybe have a child um, in our you know we're going to create together we're going to build a life in a world um, I think it's those fantasies uh, it's they're deeply embedded they are in us from stories from ancestors from all time and I think that to have that shattered and to still come back and speak about it that is true wisdom and that is true strength. I will, first of all, point out that um, even though you chucked it all from the serenity and the, you know, exquisite kind of creative world you created in Hawaii, you left Hawaii at the behest of Marcus. He was the one who went into the cult world of the church. It wasn't really your bag. It really wasn't your thing. But you stood by him because... That's what we're taught to do. You know, um, you probably figured I'm a strong woman. I will, you know, again, recreate myself. I will, you know, establish a dance world here in Dallas, Texas, which, you know, as you point out in the book, is not exactly conducive. You started getting around the big hair and, and, and the people with, you know, just the phoniness and, you know, the mega mansions where you're trying to just have a walk and you're just gaping. And, you know, I can just see it um, as, a, as, a, as removed from the natural beauty of Hawaii where you've returned to. It somehow gives me a good feeling that you've done that. Um, but I, I, I want to, to go back to what we were also talking about, the nature and the nurture. You, you came from this really great, family and you also probably wanted to recreate that right I mean that's that's a part of it you this you didn't make this up you came out of a great place how much of your yeah how, how did that play in and and you know um you know you had a mother that gave you unconditional love your dad is really a cool guy um you, of course, wanted to recreate that. And then you wound up with someone who took away the ability to understand what's real. I'm just, if I can give listeners, you know, a kind of a culminating point. That at, at one point, you, you now have given birth to Sky. You're on the, the, the church campus where your husband is. He's not a husband, but your partner is working. Um, and he manages to, um, re- re- he, he, he's going to escape before you do. And he, anyway, bottom line, he takes the car and he basically attempts to run you over. It's horrific. Um, when this happens, the church goers, um, the church board of director person, his wife, comes out and starts telling you, the victim, that you're going to lose custody of your child if you say anything about 
this incident. How, how do you go about reclaiming the truth for yourself and reestablishing what is real? Mm. Yes. That, so you just um, yeah gave away the. That's okay though. Still read the book. You just gave away that crucial moment um, where something, the universe stepped in. Um, so there was so much wavering in that situation. Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? Oh my gosh, everything's going well. You know, like I there was like these great moments, but then it would go back into not great moments. And there was so much wavering on my part and I just couldn't make a decision. Am I going to stay? Or am I going to go? Um, I wanted to be able to stay, but you know, it was not, it was an unhealthy situation and I could see that. And um, yeah, the car, the car incident um, being basically, you know, attacked by my partner in a car, which you can't really fight a car when it's starting to run you over. Um, that was the moment that, that switched everything that I couldn't, I couldn't go back anymore. And that was the only way that that was going to happen. If it happened any other way, if I decided, you know, I'm going to leave, I would have ended up going, ended up going back um, because I was, um, you know, about like, you know, two weeks pregnant. I just found out I was pregnant that day of the car incident. Um, and it was, it was a situation that um, it was, very difficult. And that, those were, I'd say, the darkest moments after the, the, you know, the few weeks to few months, even you know, days, weeks, months after that were so difficult because of that shattering of my reality. And as you mm-hmm. said, I was, um, I was lucky to have a great family. So even though I was born from the sperm bank, I had you know, a dad, not my biological dad, but a dad who, who was there. You know, my parents were married for... 40-something years until my dad passed away um, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I had that support. So it was like, exactly what you said, I, I grew up in it. I had my mom there. I had my dad always there for me. The kind of parents that you could call at like 3 in the morning, I would just be like ready to talk to you, <laughs> which I did sometimes when I was living in different countries and the time changes. My dad would answer the phone in the middle of the night and be like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Like, those are the kind of parents um, that I had that would do anything for their children. And then I just kind of, I thought that's what I was going into. I thought I was um, going to have a partner like that. That's what it was at the beginning. So there was a shift. In the beginning, um, Marcus was that person. He was doing everything for me. He, was, he wasn't really doing anything with his life. He devoted himself to my dreams and, and my dance company and supporting me however he could. And then it flipped when we moved to Texas. Um, and... Yeah, how did I rebuild? I mean, rebuilding, that, that's, I feel like, is why I wrote the book, because it is a process, and it, it's a very deep process. It's like, it goes so deep. That's why I talk about karma, um, karma into your mission. So I was also raised in a Buddhist family, um, which maybe it's not unusual now in this day, but when I was growing up in New York City, it was very unusual um, to have, you know, to be Buddhist and to be chanting couple times a day when, you know, that's not like the norm, especially like growing up in, you know, in Manhattan. And, um, so, oh yeah. So, so the karma is the, what we bring into this life from all of our, you know, past lives or past experiences. And I had this karma within me to, 
to have that experience. Like it was almost, I feel like it was a destined experience. It was destined for two children mm-hmm. to come into the world. And like, how do we, you know, how do we take the difficult things and turn it into a mission, you know, writing a book about it, empowering other people. So it's not just something that I went through and it was really hard and I, and I got through and I, it's like, how can I make something good out of something that was so bad? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering about the role of intuition. You were not unaware of what was going on. Do you place more significance on your own inner governance and compass and intuition now that you've had this experience? Absolutely. Um, it, it, I find it kind of funny. Like, um, I feel like, you know, we're kind of given these opportunities to to keep learning the same lessons in different ways until they're like really learned. And um, I, I can spot out, my intuition speaks louder now. I mean, I'll just try to give you like an example of um, going into a lift, you know, pretty recently, maybe a couple months ago, a lift car for, you know, a ride from the airport or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, having a sense that the driver was crazy, like just having this, he didn't really do much. That was crazy. He was really nice. He took my bags and everything. I just got this sense that this person is a psychopath. Like something's not right. Like my intuition just spoke up and I couldn't put my finger on it because there was nothing concrete wrong with him. He was actually the opposite, really super nice. And um, as the ride went on, he started telling me about his life and it was very interesting. I was like, okay, like my intuition was right and it gave me that confidence that I can... I can trust it more because I will say after what I went through, I was actually scared to trust my intuition. I was scared to follow my heart. Sure. I was, um, yeah, because I felt like, how can I trust myself anymore? Like, so anyway, it was, it was kind of funny having that experience a few months ago and not really knowing why I felt like, you know, my intuition was kind of saying like, like warning, 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 danger. Like I have my kids in the car, like mm-hmm. danger situation. And what then did I you do? Out, you know, there's jail records. And what did he do? What did you do? Um, did you- what did I do? Um, well, I made sure to, to not keep in contact with this person, even though that was, um, he was offering me all kinds of other help I needed. And I just was like, I had to say no, even though there was that part of me that's like, oh, but I could use that help. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like tendency to like want to, you know, accept someone's offer for help in situations. Mm-hmm. And I had to just be like, I don't want to get into any, any more, um, you know, novels being written out of this. So, It's like a replay, right? It's like a replay of the super nice Marcus who then has, you know, diabolical. Um, I think you're, you're correct in, you know, trusting your mistrust, you know, really just saying to yourself, wait, whoa, this feels very familiar. You know, that's what intuition kind of is. It lines up a whole bunch of unconscious impressions with what's happening happening and you say wait a minute this is you know <clears throat> this is not uh this is not kosher this is not cool and i think that wow it's a big thing to overcome a pattern like that to set the boundaries right you've it sounds to me as though you've learned how to do that for yourself um through the inner guidance system that you have of intuition which was pretty good all the way along. When you read this book, it will really help those of us who have squashed our intuition, our inner knowing, 
in favor of something else, in favor of something that was on our list. You know, here's what I need to do in life. I'm going to take a job. I'm going to meet a man. I'm going to do, you know, check these things off. Doesn't work that way, right, Courtney? <laughs> it's really much more uh, orga- organic than that. And you have to listen to yourself. Um, and how long has this process been since the events of the book to where you are now? Just give us some insight. You, you were studying in New York at the end of the book. Am I correct? You were in graduate studies again. What's been happening to yes. you in your real life? <laughs> so, um, actually, it's funny that, yeah, so on March, March 4th of 2014, now seven years ago, is when I first moved to Hawaii. It's like my seven-year anniversary. <laughs> and the events of the book, I mean, I lose track also. I have to think about how old my, my daughter is to remember all of this because um, it all kind of feels like another lifetime ago to me. But, uh, yeah, actually, it really does. I feel like it's a different version of myself completely. But it was, um, she's three and a half, so it took place three and a half years ago, I guess. You know, four years ago, four years ago to three years ago were the events. So pretty recently, I guess you could say, although it doesn't feel very recently. Um, and then, um, you know, with, with two babies, I moved back to New York. I decided to go to graduate school, went to NYU, um, which was very kind of radical decision. I had like a nine month old and a, you know, one year old, one and a half year old and then from New York. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I was moving to, you know, a totally new place, but to, to embark on being a student again was something I felt like I really needed and actually I felt like I needed it for my healing and mm-hmm. I felt like I needed it to move forward in my life um, mm-hmm. because that um, the story of what I went through was so traumatic for me. It was, you know, it's a 16 month relationship with two children and a, a move, you know, thousands of miles away. So it was like, it all happened so quickly and the healing process wasn't as quick as I wanted it to be. I wanted to give myself two months to, you know, be with my, you know, immediate family, my siblings, my parents, and then just like move back to Hawaii, restart my life. And what's the big deal? Just do the same things I always do. Let's have, you know, a baby and another baby. Uh, I just, <laughs> I wasn't really like, you know, realizing how, how traumatic that whole thing was and how, how long it would take to really feel like I could, um, you know, move forward again. So going, moving to New York City and going to graduate school, it, it renewed my sense. I, I love being a student. Like I thrive on being, on studying anything. <laughs> I love being mm-hmm. in school. I love taking classes. It's like part of me, just like this lifelong learner. So it gave me that sense of um, just getting to, you know, be a student and learn. And that's what eventually led me um, after that, to come back to Hawaii, I felt like I got, you know, this, this crash course. I kind of renewed myself in terms of dance and teaching dance. Mm-hmm. So that's a very long-winded answer. But, um, I, I yeah, love the, the answer. The book, <laughs> I, you know, I love it. I, I think you're, you're a student of life, for sure. And this could echo on for quite a while. We do have to interrupt for a commercial break, I'm sorry to say. Um, but when we come back, we're going to hear more from Courtney Ram from her book, Eris Rising, on soldiering on, on breaking patterns, and on finding a warrior within 
that isn't the one that's your enemy. So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Courtney Ram, and we're talking about the warrior within There's one kind of warrior that never relents and actually, you know, went in the face of when it would be common sense or in your best interest to to let go of something, says, no, never say die. Um, You know, that there's a a kind of warrior that um, is going to fight to the last. And that kind of warrior is within us too, right, right, Courtney? Because this is... This is also what you're battling is this inner warrior. How would you describe the new inner warrior that you've discovered? Mm. Yeah, so, yes, the word warrior, it has a lot of different, you know, different connotations. And the reason I connected with that word originally was actually to the title of my book, which is Eris, Eris Rising. So Eris is considered the you know, the feminine warrior for, for like, um, a feminine warrior for strength, for standing up for what you believe. So I really connected with Eris on many, many levels. What I was going through at the time, and I learned about, you know, more about Eris and her place and the astrology of Eris. And for me, the warrior within is, is you know, staying in your truth and mm-hmm. not being swayed by those around you, which is, easy until, you know, you're in love with that person. That's, that can affect that because you want to, you know, <laughs> you want to, you start to give yourself away. I mean, in my case, I did at least. I started to, to give my power away. And mm-hmm. that experience taught me that that inner warrior stays strong. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're in a relationship or if you're not in a relationship or what the other person is doing. It's like you have to put yourself first. I mean, of course, you know, in a healthy relationship, you're always thinking of the other person, but especially in an unhealthy situation where you can see that and you're maybe on the verge, leaving or staying, um, you have to, you know, your life has so much value. You, you have to value your own self to, to be in those kinds of relationships where everyone's valued. So to me, it's, it's really, 
staying true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you grow up and in your own mind's eye, failure is not an option, sometimes letting go of a relationship, even though, you know, you're not prioritized in it, feels like a failure. It can feel like, oh, I failed at relationships. But, you know, it's the reverse, right? It's a success. You have tapped into mm-hmm. your yourself, your own truth, as you say. And I wonder, you know, at the outset, you described yourself as a dancer, as a creative person, and certainly there's a lot of creative inspiration there. But I wonder if this um, warrior, uh, this emanating um, kind of wisdom that you've tapped into, is it also part of your mission now that you've written the book? Will there be other books? How do you incorporate this (laughs) now? Yes, absolutely. Um, Definitely. I feel, you know, my book was like, you know, the snapshot of, of one ex- very intense experience in my life. And yet on a daily basis, there's, and for everyone, there's always, you know, stuff we're facing, challenges. And I have to draw on that, that inner warrior, that strength from within. And yeah, I mean, it's like life is the endless, the endless you know, challenges to overcome. How do you, how do you face challenges with joy and not, okay, like, you know, here comes another problem, but it's like, how do you take each one and really grow from it? So definitely, you know, writing the book and and having the experience of putting it on paper um, has allowed me to like sort of understand more that aspect of myself Mm -hmm. and, Definitely, it's part of this lifetime, you know, my mission as either my identity, as you said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You're right. Aside from dancer, there is that, that warrior spirit, which is constantly um, growing through every challenge. And, he, and healing. Um, you know, I, I couldn't help but um, look at the word uprooting when you moved initially from uh, Hawaii to Texas, of all places, um, you, you, you know, when you're uprooted, you are, um, you know, there, you're, well, there's Thomas Mann who wrote The Magic Mountain. He talks about it a lot, like, you know, removing an individual from all relationships um, and, and being in a kind of free um, state is like a, it gives birth to forgetfulness. You know, you forget mm. kind of who, who you are. Um, you know, time, they say, is water from the river, but alien air is a similar drink. He writes, you know, now you're back. <laughs> you're, you're in your rootedness now. Um, I feel like you're mm-hmm. not going to be giving that up anytime soon or surrendering your power anytime soon. <laughs> um, there's, there's this sense of you being resilient in such a, a powerful way. And I, I wondered, um, do, you, do you feel now that you have come back to a kind of spiritual home? And, you know, does it now feel as though you're going to grow in these other dimensions as well as a result? And how are the kids doing in Hawaii? All of these things I'm asking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the, the one thing that it's funny that took me, I feel like the longest to really forgive myself for was leaving Hawaii. Um, you know, I was, I had a lot of, um, forgiveness I had to work on for myself 
of course, I had to come to terms with the fact that I had gone into a relationship with someone who had confessed to me they were in jail for 10 years. I mean, like, that was kind of like, like, really, I did that? Um, mm-hmm. But I had to, but even more than that, was the fact that I gave it, gave it up for someone. I gave up Hawaii for someone else. And um, that really took me the longest. Like, I'm telling you, like, for, I don't know, a very long time, I would just say, like, I made such a big mistake. Like, why did I do that? Like, why would I have made that big of a mistake? Like, why couldn't I have just stayed and been a single mom? Like, why was that not an option for me? Because um, for me, it wasn't at the time. I, would, I refused to be a single mom. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this alone. Like, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not doing this alone. And yet, that decision, you know, obviously it has, you know, the outcome of another child now. Okay, single mom, two children. So I was trying to save myself from a situation that didn't save myself from anyway. Um, of course, I'm very happy to have two children. And I wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the gift of all this, is that I have beautiful, smart, happy children. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a blessing. And also, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, the work is unthinkable. It's, I thought being a ballet dancer was the hardest job on the planet. I really did. I was like, that's the hardest, hardest job. Like, we have to wear point shoes. We have to... You know, emotionally, physically, on every level, being a ballet dancer is a really hard career. And then <laughs> once you have kids, it's like, oh, wait, that was easy. Like, I just focused on myself <laughs> all day. Like, that was, that, yeah. like, that was so much easier than this. Like, you know, constant needs of, of babies going a year apart. And, um, yeah, they, they're loving it in Hawaii. It's, it's for me, it's, it's so rewarding. Like I have these moments where I just have to be so grateful because it's what I always wanted. I always wanted to raise children in Hawaii. I, I mean, anywhere really in, well, not anywhere, somewhere deeply embedded in nature and with a, you know, strong spiritual sense. And it's like this land here is spiritual. And, um, I grew up in New York city and for me, um, I went to the beach about once a year with my grandma um, in Far Rockaway, New York. It's like um, Queens, Far Rockaway, Queens. And it was, the water was freezing. I remember it. Actually, I loved it. But it was like the freezing water. I just thought that's, that's what the beach was, like these huge waves and freezing water. And I'd like eventually get myself in the water mm-hmm. once a year um, in the summer. And then like I, I crave that all year long. I crave that time at the beach and in the ocean. Um, and as a kid, you know, my parents, they had three kids. They were struggling a little bit financially. And my son, I mean, my, their son was autistic and everyone had their own, you know, kind of expensive needs. So we never went on vacations. We never went on any family vacations. I never got really anything else except for New York City, which I mm-hmm. loved, but that was my only reality and subways and elevators. And so to have my children be so immersed in nature, where they're, you know, with horses and chickens and roosters and, just like totally. And that it, for me is really deeply fulfilling. Um, and yeah, there is this sense of like coming back home and it wasn't easy. There was reasons why um, it would have been easier to, you know, to not make this move because it is an isolated, isolated island, isolated place. But yet there was something in me that, you know, had to come back. Right. And Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 really a dream come true, and it's coming full circle, um, and that is a beautiful aspect of your story. Also, the fact that you know you resisted so much being a single mom, 
now you're doing it and you've probably discovered in yourself unknown strengths that, you know, you can do this. Um, it's kind of an amazing thing when you learn about the repository of what's inside of you. It's, um, it's really just, you know, a, a big affirmation um, that you can do it. And I am so happy that, you know, of course the kids are loving it and, What's good for you is good for them. They are probably, you know, they sense the deep satisfaction in you. And this is something that rubs off on them that they, you know, start to understand, you know, a palpable sense of creating satisfaction and peace for yourself um, in life. Mm. And I think that that's, that's a yeah. wonderful role model that you're, you're creating. I think, um, you know, accepting... Um, accepting and forgiving that is the sort of takeaway believe it or not we only have a couple minutes to close and patchett another author has said the best thing you can do for yourself is just to forgive yourself for every single thing that you've done how where are you in the progress now we've got about two minutes to go and a parting word from you courtney ram in this beautiful book harris rising mm -hmm. yes i I feel like I could say with with the publication of the book and um, returning to Hawaii, I do feel that I have forgiven myself for all those you know questionable questionable decisions I made and that led me to write this book. And I could see how it was all ultimately for my growth. And that's what I could say to other people who are going through difficult situations or difficult relationships how can you grow out of it? Because we're all facing, everyone faces problems. No one's life is, is just perfect about problems. But how do you take those and alchemize them and transform them into something that's, that's going to really heal you and um, help you have that, that inner growth, that inner strength that you're going to carry forward for the rest of your life? That's so excellent. Um, and alchemize is, is such a good word. We don't know how it happens, but it does. And thank you very much, Courtney Ram, for being with us. You end your book saying forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be anything different than it was, which comes from Oprah. But you've given us a huge gift by being with us. Thank you very much. And um, find her thank on you. Facebook. Thank you. Facebook um, and Instagram. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino. And most of all, to you, our listeners, Remember to stay safe and find the courage within. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.